This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Those of you who know me well, especially my wife and my family, as well as friends and staff and uh, church board members, you know there are plenty of weak areas in my life. There are things that I don't do very well. But one of the things that I don't do well, and and this particular thing probably brings more frustration to me than it does to you, is the fact that I'm really bad at anything involving handwriting or drawing, you know, whether it's just signing my name. And thankfully, card readers don't care whether you sign with a scribble or a beautiful signature. You know, if you go like that, have you ever tried that? Just go like that, and they'll accept it. Um... But my handwriting is bad. But then when I try to venture out and do something really complicated like uh, draw a stick figure or a smiley face, I go from not just bad but to horribly bad, uh, bad to the millionth power. You know, just just for an example, here's something that my mom and dad kept, and and I think it was so that people could laugh at me, but they they kept, this is... uh, my kindergarten notebook uh, when we were in in South America. We lived in a little mountain village, and uh, I I know you can't see it very well, but this this is a one. I mean, what's so hard about drawing a one? And uh, here's a three. Look at that sad face. (laughs) And this goes on and on through this notebook. Uh, Sad face, sad face, Sad face. On uh, next one, sad face. It's just really sad. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I don't understand uh, why God didn't gift me with the ability to write nice like like you do. Uh, and, and contrast this. And my grandson lets lets me uh, hear about it. Contrast this with his handwriting right there. Look, look at that. Uh, he's a ten-year-old southpaw. He's a lefty. And typically, you know, left, lefties sometimes don't maybe write as well. Uh, I, I know some of your left are, are lefties, your your exceptions to the rule. But anyway, you, you see that where I had the sad face, he has the smiley face. And it's just really, he lets me hear it all the time. Papa, you know what, I, I can do better as, as a kindergartner than, uh, you know, you, you, you can, you know, whenever he was really young and then and you can as an adult. So I am bad at handwriting or drawing. And, and while, while we're doing show and tell here, let, let me show you some pictures that some, some of the kids in this church have, have drawn or they've colored, they've, they've painted, given to me. And these are really special because when it comes to gifts from kids, I, I'm a pack rat. And, and so I keep a lot of the stuff that these kids give me and, and I, will, I will date it. And so just, just so you can see, uh, let, let's go... Here, this is from my, my granddaughter, Claire, and, uh, you know, nothing special except that that's from my granddaughter. And this was five years, six years ago now. Um, let's just go through a few others that I've gotten over the years. This one here is from Zeb Yoder, and this was a year ago, well, not even a year ago. And um, so let's go to the next one. This is his sister, Gracia Yoder. I love you. That just means so much to me. Um, another one. Uh, this one here is from Sam Kennett. Why in the world would they put a cat in a picture and give it to me? But it says, I love you. Thank you for teaching me about Jesus. Uh, another one, 
this one actually was my, my grandson, and he, he's really skilled in this area. Um, and, and this was two years ago, a little over two years ago. We were in Estes Park, Colorado, and there was a, a famous painter, uh, artist, and uh, Gary August. Some of you may know of Bob Ross. You know, he's the guy with the fantastic hair. They were co-hosts on, on television, but Jace was watching him, and, and his, uh, his uh, Native American name is Two Eagles. And so Jace went back to our room, and, and he sketched this out. Just quickly, we went up there, and so, so uh, Gary August is his name. Why he, he autographed it, and it was just kind of cool. We've got, uh, got a couple of others here. Uh, this is from Lara, uh, Lara Pirtle, and this was four or five years ago, five and a half years ago, and this was on, on my birthday. I guess that's, that's a picture of me right there. Um, and, and there's one more here, and this one, oh, oh, I got a couple of, this is from Emma. This was Easter, what, a couple of years ago. Um, next one. Um, yeah, this one says, Joe loves cats, I love you, and you love me. Another cat. Seems like I get so many cat pictures, and this, this is from Chloe uh, Schleybaugh. Um, Next, um, this one here, I, I, I've saved for last, the best for last. We're going to come back to this one, so kind of put this one in your mind. This is from, from Jack Pirtle, and this was when he was about two years old, and, and I've got some of the original drawings up here, but on the back of it, and I don't have it, but on the back it says, Papa Joe and I ride on lawnmower. So this is, you've got to understand what that is, that is uh, Jack and I riding on a lawnmower. So I, I, I want you to just kind of hold that one in, in, in your mind um, because we will come back to that here shortly. Now, thankfully, being poor at, at, at drawing or having poor handwriting like I do doesn't have eternal implications of, 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 of heaven or hell. It's just mainly inconvenient and, and frustrating and, and embarrassing. But, but having said that, there is another drawing, there is another painting on a canvas that does have eternal implications. Um, it's more than just an issue of, of it being inconvenient or frustrating. It's a matter of heaven or hell. And that involves the painting of the canvas of our lives. Now, whether or not you realize it, this very moment, you, me, all of us, Every part of our life, every action, every reaction is being drawn on a giant canvas. And it's not like you can take part of your canvas, you know, maybe the part of your life that you're not proud of, and maybe you painted it as a teenager, maybe as a 30-year-old or as a 50-year-old, and you say, I'm not proud of that period of my life. And so what I'm going to do is just kind of cut out that part of the canvas, and I'll roll it up and stick it up in the attic and pretend it didn't happen. We can't do that. We get one canvas, and our whole life, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, it all goes on that one canvas. In other words, this canvas of our life is, is not like a funeral. Now, now, we don't like funerals, even though the Bible, do you realize the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7-2 that it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, so better go to a funeral than a party? And, and, and there's a very good reason for that scripture, of which we won't get into today, but most of us don't like funerals. However, the great thing about a funeral is that if there are parts of our life that aren't good, 
You know, things that we did that we shouldn't have done, you know, scrapes with the law, rest moments where we sowed our wildest. Generally, most preachers will skip over those things. Isn't that convenient? And by the end of the service, it's amazing how most everybody that dies, they come out looking like a saint. That's the best part about a funeral. But when it, when it comes to painting the canvas of our lives, uh, there's no preacher that can go to a, a big, giant barrel of whiteout to just kind of whitewash the bad. Our life's canvas is in permanent ink. Now, thankfully, if we receive forgiveness and turn from our sin, the condemnation and judgment of those sins will be taken away. Amen? We don't have to stay under the penalty of sin. Forgiveness erases the condemnation. But please know that it doesn't erase the consequences. And that's why even good and godly people many times have to deal with the consequences of past sin years down the road. But the sooner in life we begin to make wise and right decisions, then hopefully we can minimize the negative consequences that many times will hound us and follow us until our death. Now, before we get any further in our lesson, let me just say that for some reason, I can't seem to get away from the matter of seeking wisdom. And before Christmas, if you remember, we had a sermon series called Wise Up. And I thought I'd finish with that topic, but as we started this new year, even though my, my daily prayer for years and years has always been, Lord, give me wisdom. That's a daily prayer. Give me wisdom. Yet, as, as we've entered into 2021... Maybe because of the greater than usual challenges that we're facing, I have felt the need to pray for wisdom way more than normal, way more than just once a day. Throughout the day, you know, the prayer that's on my heart is, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom for my family. Give me wisdom for my personal life. Give me wisdom for the church. Give me wisdom when it comes to the challenges of our country. And I hope you're okay with this. But I've also taken the liberty to pray that God would give you wisdom. You know, as we're in the middle of a troublesome pandemic that just won't go away, as we're in the middle of politically charged and philosophically divisive times, I've been praying that, that all of our actions, that, that our reactions, and, and here's something that I've even been praying. This sounds funny. I've even been praying that your social media posts that are being painted on the permanent canvas of our lives will reflect godly wisdom. I've been praying that for you. And one more thing, the wisdom that I've been praying for takes us beyond the lowest common denominator of what we think we can get by with and still make it to heaven. It, it takes us beyond, okay, how close to the world can I be and still be okay with God? It takes us beyond Okay, what questionable words can I say and still make it to heaven? It takes us beyond saying, okay, what can I smoke, drink, chew, or snort, or swallow and still make it through the pearly gates? The type of wisdom that I've been praying for and that will be our focus today takes us beyond the bare minimum and helps us to strive, listen, for a higher standard. As your pastor, I don't want to be looked at as someone that just lives a Christian life at the lowest level, that just barely meets the minimum standard. Yeah, he's going to make it to heaven, but by the skin of his teeth. I want to be known as someone that even though I'm far from perfect, you know that. 
Yet I pray that it would be evident that I have a heart that yearns for God and, and that my actions, even though at times flawed, yet my actions, that my character would be a reflection of God's character. Okay, as we look at the canvas of life that we're painting, there's a component of wisdom that we normally don't talk about. And I've never approached a lesson this way. And I hope that God will help me because initially as I lay the foundation for our thoughts, it's going, what I'm going to say uh, may seem a bit technical and complicated and, and even a little bit boring. But you're smart, otherwise you wouldn't come to church here, and you're always engaged and focused, and so I know you're going to track with me. To set the tone, let me make a statement. Here it is. Stay dialed in. To make wise decisions in any area of life, there has to be an understanding of and a submission to the principles and rules that govern that area of life. And again, I know this sounds technical, so let me repeat it. To make wise decisions in any area of life, there must be an understanding of and a submission to the principles and rules that govern that area. Let me explain. If you're a coach, um, football coach, basketball coach, baseball coach, or you were earlier in life, in order to make decisions as a coach, the first thing is that you have to understand and submit to the guidelines and the rules of that particular sport. And should you not understand the rules, should you not submit to those rules, you won't be a good coach. Because of you, you will probably get penalty flags thrown, you will get whistles blown, you may be disqualified, lose the game for your team simply because you don't understand the rules nor submit to them. Now, follow along here. Having said that, even after knowing the rules and, and trying to follow the rules, there are still a lot of variables in coaching. You know, just knowing and following the rules doesn't guarantee that you will be a successful coach because you still have decisions to make. You have to know when to call certain plays. You, you have to know when to switch out players because they're tired or, or maybe you see that their particular matchup is not a favorable one. And so you need to Put someone else on another player that might match up better. In coaching, there are a lot of game decisions, adjustments that have to be made. But even with those variables, you still have to submit to the rules of that sport. If you're a teacher, the same thing applies. When you go to college to get your teaching degree, one of the things you learn is how to effectively handle the students. You will learn that yelling even though that's what we all want to do at kids, most of the time yelling at kids doesn't necessarily command the most respect. So you will be taught, at least for the younger grades, to lower the volume of your voice, and that will probably give you more authority than raising your voice. And that's supposed to work for kids at home as well, even though I question that sometimes. <laughs> But then your education will also involve the specific details of, of teaching your particular subject matter or age group. There are guidelines and rules that the Missouri Department of Education has established so that teachers will be effective instruments as they invest their lives in the young kids. Now, having said that, there are still many decisions that will have to be made by the teacher. You know, every class is different, every child is different, and so good teachers will know that one size doesn't always fit all. 
Sometimes you've got to keep your thumb on certain students that may be wired to 220. But then other students operate uh, from the energy of a little AA battery. You can give them more freedom. There are plenty of variables that teachers have, but again, those decisions must still line up to the principles and the guidelines as established by the Missouri Department of Education. And, and this could be said about all careers, whether you're in law enforcement or you're a car dealer or real estate agent or you work, work in a food establishment or, or work in a church. You must understand and submit to the laws or rules of that area. And what I want to point out to you is that you autom- automatically already do this in a lot of areas. For for example, you will do this, or, or hopefully you will do this when you leave the church here in a few moments. You will get in your car and immediately begin making on-the-spot decisions. You will, you will have to decide, okay, um, you know, let, let's just say Gene is, is backing out, getting ready to back out, and, and, and so you've got to decide, okay, do I, do I kind of hurry and get by him, or, or do I let him go first? Decisions that, that you that you have to make. You've got to decide, okay, I'm going north on Park Street, and I want to get out onto Highway 54 and go west. And so at the stop sign at Hospital Road, you've got to decide, okay, do I turn left and deal with the light at Main and 54, or do I keep on going straight and deal with the light at Park and 54? You try to figure out which way takes less time. You know, every time you get in your car, you have to make decisions. How fast do you go? Where do you turn? Should you come to a complete stop? Or can you get by with a California stop? You know, a rolling stop, as one of our members this morning tried to get by with, and it didn't work out very well for him. He got stopped, and I won't mention his name. And by, by the way, it wasn't by the officer that's here in the service this morning. It was by somebody else. But the decisions that you make are hopefully within the context of the laws that have been established by the DMV to keep us safe on the roads. And and, and so again, this sounds technical, but stay with us. We're going to bring this together. Every day, in many different areas, we have decisions, we have variables, we have choices. But to make good choices, we not only have to understand the rules, but we must submit to those rules. Understanding the rules is part one. Following those rules is part two. Now, here's why that's important for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We've been called to live at the level of wisdom, not not just how much we can get by with, you know, not just with what is legal or illegal, but we've been called to live at a higher standard. And to be able to live at a higher standard doesn't just happen by knowing what is wise. That's, That's just part one. So it should not come as a surprise that Solomon, the the wisest man who ever lived, other than Jesus, who was not only a king, but but he was an architect, a designer, a musician, a writer, a horticulturalist, a zoologist. He had skills in so many areas. But Solomon says that in order to make wise decisions as followers of God, there are those two same components. Again, one is to know the laws and the rules, but secondly, we must submit to those laws and to the one who established the laws and the principles of life. You know, he says it so well in in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord, here it is, is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the word fear in this context is, is acknowledging when you wake up in the morning, you say, God, you're God and I'm not. Fear of the Lord is saying, God, you know about 
more about my life than I do. God, you know more about relationships than I do. God, you know more about finances than I do. You know more about marriage than I do. You know more about my husband, my wife. You know more about raising children than I do. And so God, because you know more about everything that, that, that I do, I'm submitting myself to you because the only way for me to make wise decisions is to not just understand the rules and the principles, but it's to then submit to them and to the one who created the rules and the principles of life. So Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but then there's a second part of that verse, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, I want you to think about something and try to follow me. Isn't it interesting that every single day we're comfortable operating within the laws of the nature that God created? For example, every single day, and you don't think about this, at least I don't, but every single day you operate within the laws of physics. It's been a long time since I've studied physics, but in physics there are a bunch of laws, and some of you would probably remember the Archimedes principle. It just says that when you dip something into water, it displaces the same amount of liquid as the object being put in the water. You don't think about it, but it happens. Um... In physics, you also have Pascal's law. It just means that when you dip something in the water, that change, the change in pressure is transmitted to all parts of the water. You have Ohm's law related to electricity. Amps equals volts divided by ohms or resistance. You have Newton's first law of motion. You have Newton's second law of motion. You have Newton's third law of motion. And, and you have Newton's law of gravity. Every single day you deal with the laws of gravity. You have laws of aerodynamics that somebody figured out. We trust those laws. All of these things God has set into motion. And and listen, little by little, we're taking baby steps in science to figure out just a few of them. And by the way, you need to know this. There is no, yeah, you need to know this. There is no conflict between faith and true science. You know, sometimes people position it like, well, you you either trust in science or you trust in faith because they're not compatible. But true science, now I'm talking about true science, has no conflict with faith. Science is basically discovering the way that God designed the world to work. And every time there's a new scientific discovery, this should strengthen our faith in God and realize, finally, after these thousands and thousands of years... We, we now understand just a little bit about gravity or electricity or aerodynamics or, or whatever principle God put in place back thousands of years ago when he created the heavens and the earth. But anyway, here's my point. Every single day, you leverage for your benefit the way that God made the world to work. Question. So why wouldn't you submit to the God who made the world to work with consistency and beauty? You are comfortable with the laws. You operate within the laws that he made. So why wouldn't we trust him with our lives? Submit to him. God made the world with consistency. Um, When you go to the doctor and they check your pulse, they know exactly where to check it. They don't have to say, okay, all right, I got to figure out where your pulse is because it's in different places with different people. And so maybe they say, okay, let, let's just start looking for your pulse in your ear. 
And then they work their way to your nose and say, you know, I, I know it's got to be someplace. No, they know exactly where to go to check your pulse because this is amazing. There's consistency in God's design of creation. You know, the reason Hans um, is able to take off in a plane and, and land safely is because there's enough consistency in the laws of aerodynamics to where he knows how much lift there will be, how much throttle he needs to give to get off the ground, and then how much throttle to back off so that he can come down gradually and hopefully not crash land. It's why Patrick Mahomes knows exactly how much arm to put on his throw. Sometimes he lofts it up and, you know, big Travis Kelsey can go up. He knows he can outmuscle defenders. Other times Mahomes throws a bullet for 50 yards between three defenders and hits Tyreek Hill in stride and he's off to the races. He's able to do that because there's consistency in gravity and consistency in the way that God created the world. And every single day we, we leverage those laws for our benefit. So why... Why would you not surrender your life to the God who created all of these things that you already leverage and already depend on every single day for your benefit? Why do we trust the laws of physics and the laws of gravity and Ohm's law of electricity and, and acknowledge that God is the one who established these laws, but we do not want to submit to the one who established those laws. And so as I've been praying for wisdom more than ever before, I, I think this is the bottom line. To make a wise decision in life requires submission to the author and the creator of life. And so as we paint the canvas of our life, as, as we try to make wise decisions that are more than just the bare minimum of how close I can get to the world and, and still make it to heaven, in order to make wise decisions regarding our eternity, we have to submit to the author of life. Now, the interesting thing is that Solomon's father is actually the one who taught him this. King David was Solomon's father and did you know that King David wrote the exact same thing that Solomon did? Here's how King David said it in Psalm 111.10. says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sounds familiar? Wisdom begins with respect of God. Listen to David's twist on this. said, all who follow his precepts. Do you know what a precept is? It's, it's, it's a teaching. It's a principle. It's a law. It's a, a thou shalt and a thou shalt not. But all who follow or obey God's precepts have good understanding. This was David's way of saying that sometimes, sometimes you have to say yes to God. Sometimes you have to follow God and his precepts and his teachings before things begin to make sense in life. And until we submit and surrender to God, many times we will wander around and live our lives in confusion. And so what happens if you're like me where sometimes the realization hits me, I've made a mess out of the canvas of my life? What, what do we do? You know, if we can't edit, if we can't delete, white out any part of the canvas of our life, what can we do when we realize that the canvas of our life is an absolute train wreck? What can we do? Well, the only thing that we can do, and this is amazing, <laughs> 
what we must do is surrender our paintbrush over to the master artist and say, my life, my painting is a total mess. My life looks like an abstract painting. Now, abstract art is okay if you like it. But an abstract marriage is not. Abstract art is okay, but, an, but abstract values are not. It's one thing to have a creative drawing. It's another thing to have a creative set of ethics and morality. And so maybe some of us need to say, God, my, my life's painting is looking too much like abstract art. And, and so I give you my paintbrush and ask you to help me make some sense out of this mess. When you came in today, um, you should have been given uh, a paintbrush. Would you go ahead and pull that out? And, and for those of you that are watching online, I'd like for you to, uh, to, to grab a paintbrush. Just get a used one out of the garage or, or wherever. You can come by the church. We've got plenty for you if, if, if you want. Um, but, but I want you to have a paintbrush near you over the next several days. So take this paintbrush and hold it, look at it. And here's what typically happens in our lives. While we're, we're still very young, our hands begin to grip the paintbrush tightly. And we begin to think, I can't wait for the day that I can get out of the house. When my parents let go of my hand and they let me paint the canvas of my life the way I want to, you know, they're so controlling, I can hardly wait to get out from under them. But the problem is that when we move into adulthood, we've become accustomed to, to gripping that paintbrush so tightly. We've become accustomed to having control. And our Heavenly Father, the master artist, at different times tries to come alongside of us and, and gently guide our hand and direct our hands. He wants our canvas to be more than just a mess. He, he wants it to be a masterpiece where there's beauty and purpose. But typically when the master artist comes alongside of us, we resist surrendering control. And our hand stays wrapped around that paintbrush so tightly. And here's where all of us have a decision to make. Are we going to do what is wise and surrender our paintbrush and surrender our will to God, to the one who can help us make sense out of the mess that we've been drawing on the canvas of our lives? Are we going to surrender that to God? Okay, let's go back to the picture that I said we would come back to. Remember uh, the picture that Jack Pirtle drew when he was two years old. He did this for my birthday, and, and you know what? I, I'll tell you, this is a very special painting drawing for me, uh, and it's pretty good for a two-year-old. Maybe doesn't have a lot of purpose and beauty, but what do you think can be done with this picture? Well, I put this picture in the hands of a master artist. And it was, actually, um, it was actually his mom, Cindy, who is amazing. 
And she took Jack's picture, rough as it is, rough as it was, she began working on it. And since Jack's intention was to draw this picture where he was on a mower with Papa Joe, uh, Cindy began working. And she superimposed the, the picture that was actually taken that prompted Jack to remember this. And then she began sketching over Jack's drawing and focus on this for just a moment longer. Look at it. Now let me show you uh, what a master artist was able to do with that drawing, if we could just see that right now. This picture was superimposed, but you know all of the scribbles, if you look back behind this word blessed, Cindy was able to take what we would consider maybe a mess and make something so beautiful out of it. And that's what happens when we surrender our will and our brush to God. God, the master artist, comes alongside of us and begins to give us wisdom and he begins to guide our hand and he takes our canvas that's a mess and, and he begins to make something beautiful out of it. But he can't do it until we surrender our will and our paintbrush to him. So, could we do that today? You know, would you not only just make it a priority to know the rules and know the laws and the thou shalt and the thou shalt not, but would you take the step of submitting to the author and the creator and the master artist of life? And so, I want to pray, and, 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 and could we all just right now, and in a moment of commitment, just say, God, I'll admit I've made some messes in my life, but I want you to take my mess. And I'm now giving control of my paintbrush. I'm giving it to you. And would you begin to guide my hand, guide my life, guide my thoughts, guide my social media posts, guide my actions, my reactions, my motives, everything about me. So as we pray, could we just, in this moment of surrender, even if you've surrendered in the past, could we just say, God, I'm going to make a full surrender to you right now, and I'm going to give this paintbrush to you. And that's why I want you to have this paintbrush near you over the next few days, just reminding you of your surrender to the master artist today. Let's pray. God, we surrender. Lord, I, I pray that, Father, I pray that you would just take some of the messes that we've created in our homes or maybe at work in our personal lives. And God, even though, even though maybe the consequences won't be erased, but yet the condemnation, the penalty of sin can be forgiven. And, and Father, I pray that in this day of control where we like control, Lord, we want to control the TV. We want to control what happens 
you know, politically and socially, we want to control what happens in our community. Sometimes we want to control what happens in, in church and all of that. But God, I pray that in this day and age when we, we seek control for everything, Father, I pray that we would release control to you. And Lord, the painting that we've started that may look similar to the painting that Jack has, God, I pray that you would come and just take it and take it to a new level, make something of it. Lord, give us purpose. Would you give us beauty? And so, God, I I pray that you would help us, that as we seek wisdom, that we would not just know the laws, but, Father, that you would help us to submit to the author of those laws. And so, God, we surrender to you today. We're going to walk in that surrender. We're going to walk in submission to you with your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen and amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.